0: Greetings, We the People listeners. We need your help to make the podcast even better. Please go to bit.ly forward slash We the People podcast to share your feedback about topics, guests, and so much more. It only takes a few minutes and it'll help shape our plans for the new year. We've already received lots of great responses, but want to hear from all of you. So please go to bit.ly forward slash We the People podcast to share your feedback. Thanks so much. I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And this week, we discuss the results of the historic 2016 presidential and congressional elections and what they mean for the future of the Constitution. Joining me to discuss this centrally important topic are two of America's leading constitutional scholars, two members of the National Constitution Center's Coalition of Freedom Advisory Board, and the Dream Team of our We the People podcast. Michael Dorff is the Robert S. Stevens Professor of Law at Cornell University Law School, and Ilya Shapiro is a Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute and Editor-in-Chief of the Cato Supreme Court Review Mike, Ilya, thank you so much for joining.
1: Glad to be here. Good to be back.
0: Let us jump right in. Mike, some have argued that the Constitution is built to protect the losers, as Noah Feldman put it in Bloomberg, and that it's all about the Constitution now. Republicans will control the White House in both chambers of Congress, Feldman writes. They'll be able to pass or repeal their preferred laws because that's democracy, But to Donald Trump's opponents worried about what his presidency will bring, know this, there will still be limits to congressional or executive action, limits dictated by the Constitution and enforceable by the courts. Uh, Do you agree with Noah Feldman and tell us about what some of those constitutional limitations on presidential and congressional action could be? Uh,
1: So, yeah, I agree. The Constitution does limit the uh, powers of the government. Uh, The question is how? So if you look at the original design, you have to recall that the framers did not anticipate and indeed uh, loathe the idea of political parties. We have a system uh, of checks and balances which assumes that uh, members of the House, members of the Senate and the president will all pursue their own distinct institutional interest. But since the almost the founding basically after the presidency of George Washington with the emergence of political parties we have had a kind of failure of the system of checks and balances whenever we have unified government that is to say same uh, party controls the White House and both houses of Congress uh, and when I say failure I don't mean a complete failure there are times when notwithstanding party affiliation Uh, Members of Congress pursue different agendas from the president. So one initial check, I think, is the very fact that the Republican Party is not united. Uh, Donald Trump ran for president in part on a platform that breaks with, uh, frankly, both Republican and Democratic orthodoxies, uh, both with respect to foreign and domestic policy. And so one important check will be occasionally that Republicans in Congress might stand up to Trump and not give him statutory authorization for some programs for which he needs statutory authorization. At that point, the question will arise, are there things he can do even without Congress? Uh, And at that point, I think you're likely to see a lot of the people who have been arguing about uh, executive unilateralism flip sides from where they've been over the last few years, that is to say, uh, uh, Democrats who were talking about the powers of the presidency in order to validate President Obama on things like immigration and health care will rediscover the uh, limits on the presidency. And those conservatives who support Trump, which isn't all conservatives, but those conservatives who support him, will uh, discover once again the value of the imperial presidency. So uh, I guess what I wanna say is there are structures in place, um, but they are very much um, uh, guided by politics. And of course, the one structure I left out uh, is the Article Three judiciary, which is independent, Uh, and places a check on some of the more uh, outlandish things that Trump talked about in the campaign, although that, just in the last couple of days, I think uh, he has downplayed. Things like the Muslim immigration ban, like opening up our libel laws, uh, which is, frankly, a matter of state law, mostly, uh, and um, uh, possible rounding up of undocumented immigrants. So the courts do stand as, as a check but there are then justiciability limits. I think I'll stop there because I could keep talking for the rest of the hour.
0: Thank you very much for that. Uh, Ilya, do you agree with Feldman that uh, the Constitution might check uh, presidential and congressional excesses? Uh, Mike mentioned some examples of Republicans denying a President Trump authority. Can you talk about specific examples where that might happen? For example, I'm curious about whether a uh, President Trump could build a wall with Mexico uh, without uh, spending authority from Congress. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the degree to which President Trump could act unilaterally or whether he would be checked by the Constitution?
2: Sure, Jeff. Uh, first of all, I would like to uh, welcome my Democratic and liberal friends to being concerned with uh, constitutional and structural limits on federal and especially executive power. Um, those of us who have been on these ramparts, uh, regardless of which party is in power, uh, uh, need all the help we can get, so uh, so so come aboard. Uh, and to that, uh, and uh, the Constitution has plenty of uh, protections that have been observed in the breach uh, in terms of the expansion of federal programs and executive power in, in various ways that uh, uh, a lot of us uh, on the uh, on the libertarian front uh, have been complaining about for years. Uh, and originalists in terms of uh, judicial uh, interpretation. Um, in terms of specifics, uh, uh, well, first of all, yes, uh, the, the Feldman point I, w- I would characterize in this way. The Constitution isn't meant to protect losers. It's meant to protect individual liberty. That's why we established the government in the first place. And as Federal, Federalist 51 uh, Madison's writing pointed out, uh, the first uh, in the first moment we established the government to protect our liberties. But in the second, we have to protect ourselves from that government by limiting it in, in all sorts of uh, of ways. I think that is the Constitution, that is our system, in a nutshell. With specific examples, it really depends on the statute at issue in in many ways, uh, as well as what kind of uh, uh, under what authority the President or the executive branch or the federal government might be acting. So with the wall, um, it depends on the uh, the statutory uh, authorization for the relevant department of the of uh, the relevant agency of Homeland Security. What uh, amount uh, of funds Congress has appropriated and what limits it's put on those funds, because certainly the executive branch has discretion to move around funds uh, in terms of prioritizing uh, how to implement uh, the law or its charge uh, from Congress. So we have fencing and and, uh, rudimentary walls uh, in in various parts uh, of the border. So there's certainly authorization for, for some of that. Uh, The president could decide that he would uh, rather uh, move some money from uh, uh, building uh, modernizing customs uh, outposts on the Canadian border and instead would rather uh, strengthen the the physical barriers or the technological barriers on the southern border. I'm sure there's some discretion with that. But it just all depends on how much this putative wall is going to cost, what its parameters are, uh, and what the specific statute says in terms of... uh, uh, what and whether the executive uh, can do without going back to Congress for more money or, uh, or further authorization. There are there are other you know, uh, things that Trump has said. And uh, bear in mind that uh, you know not all of this uh, can we take uh, literally or specifically based on uh, this kind of non-policy policy debate that we had during the campaign. As Selena Zito, who covered um, the the campaign for The Atlantic, uh, pointed out, uh, reporters make a mistake. Uh, in in taking Trump literally but not seriously instead we need to take him seriously not literally Peter Thiel uh, the tech magnate uh, the big libertarian who joined the Trump camp uh, has said much the same thing so it's not a matter of paying attention to every little nuance you know he's not going to round up and deport 11 million illegal aliens Uh, uh, that's that's just rhetoric Uh, he's not going to force states to impose the death penalty not because he understands necessarily the Federalist structure uh, of our uh, of our legal order, uh, doesn't understand that it's local prosecutors that go for that sort of thing, not even uh, us. attorneys and and things like that. Uh, but it's it's all kind of part of a, of a larger um, uh, a meta message that he was trying to convey. So some of these things, you know we could spend a lot of time and and waste a lot of uh, trees writing about or talking about. Um, But, uh, you know, the the, the checks fundamentally uh, are there uh, in in the Constitution in terms of what it authorizes Congress to do. Uh, It's not spelled out as much with executive power. But, again, uh, the executive can only enforce, can't rewrite the laws, can't suspend the laws. And, you know, we get back into the discussion uh, about what a president with uh, a pen and a phone or, I guess, in in Trump's case, a Sharpie uh, and a Twitter account uh, can do by himself.
0: Thanks so much for that. Uh, Mike, I want to continue to get granular here. And really, I'd like our listeners to have a sense by the end of this podcast of the kind of constitutional checks that might kick in. Um, Understanding that uh, Ilya's point that uh, uh, not all of uh, what uh, candidate Trump promised will be pursued by President Trump, can you imagine particular examples where President Trump would try to act unilaterally without congressional authorization and he would be checked constitutionally either by Congress or by the courts or both?
1: Yeah, so let me uh, say three things in response to that. Uh, first, I just want to uh, uh, add to my earlier answer and something that uh, Ilya said, which is I, I take great pride in the fact that I was one of the few liberals who was critical of President Obama uh, with respect to immigration and some of the other uh, unilateral actions precisely because I was worried about the prospect of uh, a my policy agenda. And I think that is, uh, I can't underscore enough that when we think about constitutional questions, it's often very helpful to ask, would I reach the same conclusion if the policy preferences were reversed? So second, let me give you a, a couple of areas where I think uh, there there could be some sort of conflict. Um, the first, I'll, I'm going to pick up on your suggestion of um, the wall and broaden it to talk about um infrastructure, which strikes me as an area where uh, President Trump's views will diverge from the Republican Congress. And you you saw this already, uh, I believe yesterday, in Mitch McConnell saying that, well, we'll think about that, but that is not a a high priority. That is to say massive infrastructure spending in the way that Trump wants uh, to do, uh, both to rebuild the infrastructure and as a kind of public works program. And that's, uh, I think, not a high priority for for most uh, Republicans in Congress. So the question is, what if Trump were to try to redirect money appropriated for other purposes or maybe not even officially appropriated towards either infrastructure or the wall at the Mexican border? Um, There, I think, uh, you get into questions about uh, legal standing in court. In general, it's much easier for people to come into court and complain about something that the government is doing to them as opposed to somebody, anybody, coming into court and that the government is acting not on them, but in a way that is generally illegal. Uh, This issue is currently before the D.C. Circuit in uh, one of the challenges to uh, Obamacare uh, and the administration's effort to uh, use money that the challengers, in particular um, House Republicans say, was never appropriated. And there's a real question about legal standing there, quite apart from the merits. So the court may or may not be a very effective check on attempts by Trump to violate the law or to do things that at least other people think violate the law where there is no particularized victim. Uh, the, so, so that's that's, uh, you know, one one uh, set of concerns. Um, I think I'll stop there because I have a, I have another one, but I, I want to hear Ilya's uh, thoughts as well.
0: Okay, Ilya, your response to that, and then I want you to tee up this very broad and important question uh, of deregulation. Uh, The New York Times reports that Trump is expected to to seek deep cuts in business regulation, ranging from the possible unwinding of Dodd-Frank, the firing up of shuttered coal plants, the rollback of rules that increase overtime pay for low-wage workers, not to mention uh, changes in regulations involving banking, Obamacare, and energy. Um, could he do this unilaterally? Would he need congressional support? And in what ways might the Constitution impose checks on this deregulatory effort?
2: Well, uh, I agree with, uh, I think, what what Mike said. Um, You live by executive action, you die by executive action. This was uh, the risk that President Obama ran by governing with his pen and and phone, uh, in that now uh, President Trump can uh, easily, you know, rescind DAPA, the immigration executive action, uh, and the Clean Power Plan. That's uh, the D.C. Circuit heard seven hours last month. Uh, some things can do by executive action, some uh, through a, a regulatory uh, uh, notice and comment rulemaking, um, some by kind of a, a, a hybrid. Uh, and I agree further that uh, with with Mike that the, the way to think about uh, what kind of power the government should have, whichever branch you're thinking about, is uh, by by positing what kind of power you you'd be willing to give to your biggest political enemy.
0: It's not even a matter
2: of if the policy preferences were perver- were, were reversed, although that's part of it. But it's uh, imagine you know the worst person in your mind, which for many people is uh, Donald Trump. Um, Curiously, and perhaps counterintuitively, because Trump is less ideological than sort of what the debates that we've been used to the last uh, decade, 15 years, where we, we we now have these ideologically coherent uh, parties, the Democrats are the left, the Republicans are the right, and never the twain shall meet. Uh, but Trump being sort of a a, a post-ideological or, or non-ideological candidate that's kind of vague populist in many ways, uh, maybe we'll actually have politics as usual with horse trading, with uh, Mitch McConnell apparently met with a bunch of uh, leading K Street lobbyists uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, Will we see the return of earmarks as part of this ambitious infrastructure uh, plan? Ironically, this could lead to more rather than less crony capitalism, even though that's something that Trump voters, I think, along with Bernie voters, uh, were were railing against uh, this year. But again, you asked what can a president do Unilaterally. Um, well, the president can't suspend or or repeal Dodd-Frank altogether, but certainly, uh, as we learned in the D.C. Circuit ruling last month, can fire Richard Cordray, the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, and can decide that uh, that agency should go about its business uh, in a different way, um, uh, can uh, pass regulations either informally or formally, um, uh, to decide uh, to implement in various ways. This is again the danger of passing these uh, omnibus, broad laws uh, that that have a lot of uh, uh, wiggle room in them for the agencies to govern uh, by the uh, by the fourth branch, by the bureaucracy. So it, it depends on the particular statute about how much uh, discretion the executive branch has. Uh, but certainly, um, there there are many controversies that we've been talking about uh, whether. In terms of Supreme Court cases or uh, just uh, uh, questioning the the public debate, can the president do this or is this good policy? There are many of these things that uh, it's not about repealing a law, it's making a different type of uh, enforcement uh, decision. Uh,
0: Mike, your thoughts on the future of the regulatory state? Uh, Liberals had Uh, for years talked about a libertarian and conservative movement that some called the Constitution in exile to strike down much of the post-New Deal regulatory uh, state through the courts. Uh, With a Trump uh, justice replacing Justice Scalia, could that movement get up and running? And with a deregulatory president and Congress and Supreme Court, how could the shape of the regulatory state change?
1: Uh, So I think the answer is we don't know and won't know for a while. Most of what Trump wants to do on the regulatory side is, as you say, deregulatory. Um, That means uh, differently enforcing or under-enforcing relative to a Democratic president existing statutes and regulations. Uh, That doesn't really give rise to the kind of litigation in which an affected party can say, hey, this um, regulation is too onerous for me. Uh, so I think what the, the the question that you've asked is much more likely to arise uh, in a post-Trump Democratic presidency in the event that uh, Trump gets to name not just a replacement for Justice Scalia, but several additional justices. Um, you know, Justice Scalia was one of the strongest supporters Of uh, deference to administrative agencies on the court. So uh, there is, I think, at least something of an intra conservative debate among, you know, about what the proper scope of presidential power uh, is in this regard. Let me give you one area where uh, you might see something uh, quite quickly, though, uh, and that is if um, President Trump were to. Uh, unilaterally attempt to rescind NAFTA. Uh, NAFTA, is, which, which is something that he's threatened to do. He said he wants to renegotiate NAFTA, and if Mexico and Canada do not agree to more favorable terms for the United States, he would withdraw. Uh, my reading of NAFTA says that he can indeed withdraw. That is, uh, NAFTA says you can withdraw by giving uh, notice to the the other parties. Uh, They believe it's six months after that you've withdrawn. It doesn't say who gets to withdraw, but under the U.S. law of foreign relations, generally if a treaty or other international agreement is silent on that question, it is the president. So he does have that power. But NAFTA is an international agreement. There's also something called the NAFTA Implementation Act, uh, which is a statute passed by Congress Uh, that may or may not have force, even in the absence of the international agreement. And so that's an area where you could very quickly see challenges, perhaps by importers uh, of goods that all of a sudden are going to be subject to higher, uh, or or to tariffs, that they wouldn't um, with NAFTA uh, in effect. Um, So uh, that's not exactly a a derail. Right. regulatory move. It's, in a sense, a more of a regulatory move, right, to impose tariffs, but it's a place where I think you could see a court challenge pretty quickly.
0: Interesting. Uh, Ilya, other examples where uh, the president might act uh, unilaterally, uh, might, could he try to undo the Iran deal without uh, congressional authorization? Or could he change immigration policy without congressional authorization? And might that give rise to constitutional or legal challenges?
2: Well, the Iran deal was famously not put up for a Senate vote. There was a, a weird procedure where there needed to be a supermajority to reject it. Uh, the details are sort of fading in my mind at, at this point. but the uh, So I, I think like, uh, like a lot of uh, uh, treaties, or even more than a lot of treaties, uh, I think the Iran deal is something that the executive can... Uh, depart from, just like uh, he can remove um, uh, the United States signature on the, uh, the Paris Accord on, on global warming, for example. Um, you know, these sorts of uh, international deals, um, uh, unless they've been solidified by or executed by domestic legislation, there's a lot of um, uh, power for the executive in, in terms of foreign relations there. Um, On on, on immigration, um, again, the the devil is in the details. If he wants to have more vetting of uh, uh, applicants for visas, uh, or refugees for that matter, from certain countries, uh, I think he'll be able to do that. Um, If he wants to do it by religion, that would be practically probably more difficult, although unclear... Uh, who would have standing to challenge that? Maybe a family member already in country, but still, there's no right to enter the country uh, uh, in the Constitution. So um, uh, unclear whether such a claim would, would, would happen. He's already walked back kind of his more sweeping, you know, no Muslims at all uh, uh, claims and, and things like that. Um, at the same time, who knows what his, uh, you know, severe scrutiny or however he characterized it, extreme vetting uh, of uh, refugee or, or visa applicants might might turn out into, but that's that's something that 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 might take place. Um, again, it's it was a very detail free uh, campaign, and uh, there's certainly going to be uh, a push for deregulation as you mentioned on on various fronts. So I would expect there actually to be more. More like in a, in a in a typical Republican administration that follows a Democratic one, there there will be a de- a deregulatory uh, impetus that uh, uh, that goes through formal rulemaking, probably more than uh, executive action.
0: Interesting, um, Mike. Ilya mentioned uh, extreme vetting of Muslim immigrants, if not uh, deportation. There was also the during the campaign, the famous proposal to open up the libel laws, uh, understanding that you think that some of these are campaign hyperbole. If President Trump were to try to open up the libel laws or engage in religious-based vetting of immigrants, could you imagine a Trump court imposing constitutional limitations on him?
1: Sure. So first of all, let's be clear. By a Trump court, uh, we mean a court with one or maybe two or even three Mm -hmm. justices appointed by President Trump. He doesn't get to fire Supreme Court justices, um, I think one of the remarkable achievements of the modern Supreme Court, although there are are people who are not happy about this, I'm not one of those people, but one of the remarkable achievements is the more or less cross-ideological consensus that has emerged really and only in the last half century in favor of robust protection for the First Amendment. All right, so uh, prior to the 1950s, the First Amendment meant very little. Uh, if you if you were thought the First Amendment was important, you basically cited dissents by Holmes and Brandeis. It was only when liberals came to see its value in the civil rights movement and conservatives later came to see its value, I think partly in response to perceptions of political correctness and partly because it overlapped with the uh, attraction of, many conservatives to rule-based decision-making, that you have a cross-ideological consensus on the court that uh, the First Amendment draws uh, some pretty strict lines you can't go beyond. So, to open up the libel laws, as I said, it's state law, but there are potentially federal enclaves of defamation law, right, that would mean overturning New York Times against Sullivan, which is a uh, landmark uh, decision saying that if a public— Official or candidate for office, and in later cases, a public figure wants to sue somebody for defaming him or her, uh, they have to meet a very high standard of proving not merely falsity but um, uh, almost intentional lying. Um, there is no way that uh, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to back down from that. Uh, it's conceivable that a Trump appointed justice or two might because uh, the Sullivan standard is not the original understanding. The original understanding is basically that the First Amendment forbids prior restraints. Um, But uh, I don't see uh, Trump having the opportunity to appoint a majority of justices who say that. Uh, And even I, I think Justice Thomas, who is the most originalist of the justices, has not expressed. Uh, an interest in overturning New York Times against Sullivan, to the, to, to my knowledge. Um, so that's with respect to the libel laws. With respect to um, a religious test for immigration, uh, I think Ilya is right that the real questions would be about judicial enforceability. I have little doubt that um, a all the justices currently on the court and anybody who's likely to be named to the court would think that this is highly problematic and Uh, probably unconstitutional, although perhaps nobody has, the the courts don't have the ability to say that.
0: Uh, Thanks so much for that. Ilya, are there other areas involving civil rights, liberties, or uh, minority rights where you could imagine a Trump court defined as a court with one or more Trump justices uh, pushing back on or checking a President Trump?
2: Um, Well, Mike touched on the First Amendment. I, I think I agree with that analysis. The Second Amendment, although Trump was endorsed by the NRA, he he also spoke favorably of the the so-called "no fly, no buy" idea that if you're on a uh, a watch list of various kinds or uh, or a no fly list, then you're not allowed to to buy a gun. When and, and that policy is so extreme because the lists are so incredibly unreliable and there's no way to challenge uh, even your, your name being on one of them, if you can even find out that it is, that the ACLU uh, opposes that. And they're not a very pro-Second Amendment organization. So, um, uh, you know, the the, the the jury's out on whether any, any kind of policy relating to gun ownership is going to come out of the Trump White House, although uh, justices that he and judges that he's likely to appoint will probably start ending the civil disobedience with respect to Uh, the right to keep and bear arms that we've seen since uh, Heller uh, and then McDonald versus Chicago that extended that right uh, uh, to the state. There hasn't been any action at the Supreme Court on the Second Amendment in in years uh, and perhaps we will see one of these cases breaking through because currently the Second Amendment is uh, respected and effectively in red states and and not in blue states because of selective interpretation by by lower court judges. Uh, Beyond that, uh, other civil rights um, you know, all of a sudden, a lot of people were expecting a Clinton presidency, and the, the left was gearing up for, um, for playing offense for a long time, uh, for the first time in a long time, uh, and now that's not going to happen. So uh, there are going to be uh, uh, right-to-work challenges, the, the, the worker rights versus the union-government collusion uh, case that was uh, dismissed last term or tied 4-4. Uh, leaving in uh, uh, compelled payment of, of agency fees by non-union members, uh, we'll see cases like that coming up again. Um, uh, run through the First Amendment, no doubt. We have a very broad First Amendment. Uh, uh, justices on both sides. Um, you know, it's people are. I think in in, in terms of uh, legal organizations are are scrambling to retool. Uh, the, the libertarian and conservative organizations are. Trying to figure out what they, what they, how they want to go on offense again. Perhaps more parts of uh, campaign finance law will be struck down. Uh, soft dollar limits, uh, all sorts of things that are part of that convoluted mess of the uh, McCain-Feingold reform from nearly 15 years ago. Now uh, we might see uh, more push in in that direction. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with voting rights because various states have put in various kinds of changes, not necessarily restrictions on who can vote, but uh, playing around with uh, uh, early voting hours and days and different methods of implementing voter ID. Um, that's been very contentious. Uh, how will, as as Trump populates the judiciary, um, how will those rulings change ahead of future elections? Every four-year term, uh, the president appoints uh, almost a fifth of the judiciary, almost 40 percent in a In a two-term presidency. So that's even below the Supreme Court, uh, that's going to have an impact. Uh,
0: Thanks for that. Uh, Mike, we're going to devote next week's podcast to the Trump court across a range of issues, but I want to take one more beat on specific areas where a Trump court or Trump justice might check a President Trump. And running through our crack constitutional prep, we have the possibility of changes in religion during the campaign, Trump said if he was elected, he would knock out the Johnson Amendment prohibiting tact-exempt organizations like churches from endorsing political candidates. He said that uh, he thinks you need campaign finance reform because PACs are a horrible thing. Uh, we have the Second Amendment issues we've talked about. There's also stop and frisk, where Trump has called for more law and order, and you could imagine a Trump justice being more pro-police than Justice Scalia uh, was, and uh, those are just some... Uh, possibilities. You have others. What are what are a few more areas where a Trump court might check a President Trump? Uh,
1: so those are a lot. Let me just say a few words about, about a few of those. So with respect to voting rights, one of the uh, interesting phenomena of the last decade or so has been that Republicans in Congress vote for the Voting Rights Act, but then Republicans at the state level uh, vote for voting changes that have the effect, I think they also have the purpose, but ha- certainly have the effect of suppressing minority voting, not necessarily because they're, these Republicans are racist, but just because of the, uh, the fact that uh, African Americans and other minorities uh, tend to vote for Democrats. Um, the, you know, to to change the actual Voting Rights Act would require statute. I'm not sure you would get that out of a Congress, even a Republican Congress um, stop and frisk is a, another interesting case right uh, it came up in one of the debates in which um, uh, Hillary Clinton said well stop and frisk was held unconstitutional in New York City and Trump then gave a kind of new surprisingly nuanced uh, account in which he said well the district judge said so but then the court of appeals might have reversed that and the city didn't appeal and that's actually accurate um, so stop and frisk is something of a misnomer. Uh, stop and frisk is constitutionally valid under a case called Terry against Ohio. What's invalid is stop and frisk undertaken with a racially discriminatory purpose, and that was what was, what was found as a factual matter on the record uh, in New York City. Um, I, I think that uh, it, it's unlikely uh, that uh, the court would, certainly that it would overturn Terry and say that the police can randomly stop and, and frisk people. It's also an, uh, extremely unlikely that they say you could do it uh, out of a, a racial motive. Um, coming to religion, I think a lot of what you will see uh, is, uh, is that cases that have, uh, sort of that have arisen in the last few years just go away. So I would not be at all surprised if the Trump administration pretty early on rescinds the uh, contraception mandate, for example. And in fact, they might not even bother to do that because if, they, if Congress repeals the Affordable Care Act, then whatever they replace it with is probably not gonna have that. And so you wouldn't have uh, the kind of conflict that you saw between uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, and the contraception mandate in the Hobby Lobby case and in the subsequent cases. Uh, So, yes, some of this stuff gets run through the court, but a lot of it, I think, is going to be resolved, at least in the short run, through either repeals by Congress or rescission by uh, a Trump administration of the regulatory policies.
0: Great. Ilya, I want to make sure we're not missing the big picture here. These details are really interesting and I've asked for them, but uh, you and other libertarian scholars were were, were critical of... The George W. Bush administration, which working with the Republican Congress, engaged in uh, big government activities, some of which were checked by the court, uh, including the court decisions uh, striking down the president's unilateral establishments of military commissions, uh, torture and habeas corpus and so forth. If if we use the Bush administration as an example, the last time we had a Republican president in Congress, what are broad areas where the president and Congress acting together might be checked by the Constitution or by uh, the court?
2: Well, not in terms of the uh, first thing that uh, Trump said in his victory speech, the uh, the uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh, I don't think there's anything constitutional about that. Like I said, uh, K Street is in a feeding frenzy about getting a piece of, of that pie. Um, I think Paul, Ra- I mean, the way that this dynamic is going to work is Trump sets out in broad brushes what he wants to do uh, Mitch McConnell is the political power player, the Senate Majority Leader. Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, is the policy wonk. Uh, and Mike Pence, the Vice President, is sort of the, uh, the liaison between the White House and Congress, and especially the policy wonks. Um, and uh, I think, you know, if we're talking policy specifics, uh, beyond very broad things that, that Trump uh, keeps, uh, has kept talking about, like trade and immigration, and now infrastructure, I think this is going to be very much... Paul Ryan uh, driving the driving the ship, uh, assuming he's re-elected speaker, which uh, I think he will be. I don't think there's any leading other leading uh, uh, contenders, and uh, his kind of tacking uh, 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 here and, and there in terms of supporting Trump or not, uh, uh, I think probably will be borne out because he kind of muddied the waters and and, and did just enough with both the pro-Trump and never-Trump uh, uh, policy wonks to uh, Maintain his, his his control of power, but again, these are all policy details. I'm not sure where the uh, where it will touch upon uh, the Constitution, um, unless um, Trump executive agencies uh, start trying to uh, rewrite statutes like like Obama's executive agencies have been. Um, you know, this I, I think it's 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 interesting. We'll go back to a lot more policy debates and a lot of attacks. When there's unified Republican government, a lot of attacks from the libertarian side will be uh, uh, that this is, uh, as you said, uh, like under George Bush with the growth of uh, Medicare Part D and and other things, just the growth of big government. That will be a policy critique rather than as much uh, a constitutional one, because it doesn't look like Trump has an appetite to uh, re-expand the the war on terror uh, or put in other kinds of uh, secret commissions or, or whatever the case might be. Uh, he does want to rebuild the military, but just to make it strong and to uh, act as a Reaganite kind of uh, deterrent, uh, rather than uh, to send it around uh, different places to uh, impose America's will or anything like that. Um, so again, we we might be this is this event, uh, this 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 uh, tectonic uh, event of this election might uh, break the logjam, the gridlock that we've had, not simply because of unified, uh, government, uh, that the Republicans uh, now have, uh, but because, um, the, the whole discourse, uh, is, is going to be different. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of, not even Bushian, but pre nine 11 type of discussion about, uh, you know, how to get the economy moving again, where to reform, whether it's entitlements or anything else. Uh, and so, uh, it's, it's hard to predict, frankly, Uh, Where the Constitution will fit in, other than those kind of uh, high-level things that we've just discussed on the on the stumps uh, about uh, the the, broad brushes about Muslims and opening up libel laws, these famous things, which which frankly I think are just mostly rhetoric. Uh, But in terms of the nitty-gritty of governing, um, I don't know. Uh, Will we see liberals all of a sudden bringing structural constitutional challenges to some act of Congress? relating to uh, welfare reform. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, uh, we're, in, we're in a new ballpark, and I'm, uh, I'm sort of looking forward to that because th- this old, tired debate has, has gotten stale.
0: Fascinating. Mike, uh, what's your uh, response? And if you were advising liberals who were trying to bring structural constitutional challenges to acts of Congress or, or uh, President uh, Trump, what would those constitutional challenges look like?
1: Uh, So I I think, first of all, we have to wait and see. Uh, We don't know, as Ilya says, which of Trump's statements is going to be translated into policy. Um, The second thing I guess I would say is that, of course, you use the courts when you don't have uh, control of the elected branches of the federal government. Uh, But there are other institutional levers of power. There are state governments um there may even be an opportunity uh for democrats to work with trump on areas of common interest right so uh you know the think about the places where trump bucked traditional uh republican orthodoxy uh on trade on um entitlement spending on infrastructure uh, those are places where uh, I think there's an opportunity to, to build some uh, some bridges. Uh, I also think that, there sort of almost paradoxically, the support of the so-called alt-right and some of the ugliest parts of uh, the the political spectrum for Trump's campaign could provide an opening for some uh some effective work by a trump administration uh in combating racism sexism and xenophobia right that is to say uh one of the things that the trump people have been you know at pains to deny is that they are uh the cause of this right now i think that that was a kind of double game during the campaign uh but You know, if he's thinking, what can I do to remain popular? Right, The the alt-right is 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 not a big part of his constituency and certainly not a big part of the electorate. And so you could see something like a Trump Justice Department trying to prove that it's actually, you know, uh, not not uh, uh, bigoted and actually bringing some enforcement actions uh, here and there especially against things like isolated hate crimes.
0: Uh, Ilya, speaking of a Trump Justice Department, could an Attorney General uh, Giuliani, for example, act in ways that might provoke pushback from Congress or the courts?
2: Yeah, I I think so, Uh, depending on uh, what exactly uh, he wants to do. Um, If it's punishing Trump's enemies uh, in various ways, whether the same, whether using the IRS like Obama has, or or in other ways, um, I think there will be pushback uh, uh, in the courts. A national stop and frisk, we, we we've discussed uh, again, depends on uh, whether it's uh, the way that uh, Terry stops have been allowed uh, for decades, or whether there's some new uh, type of of program in place. Um, well, I mean, we'll just have to see what the FBI will be doing. Is it is it is it going to be like uh, Jed Hoover with uh, with secret investigations of of lots of people? I, um, it, it's it's really hard, you know. Until we see the contours of the of the transition shaping up and and what the first uh, you know hundred days plans are, um, the, the answer is you know we're speaking hypothetical. Sure, there 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 might be pushback. Um, Uh, But uh, it's 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 so many Rumsfeldian unknown unknowns uh, at this point. Um, So, uh, you know, will will uh, the the Giuliani Justice Department uh, continue investigating Hillary Clinton, for that matter? Will will President Obama pardon Hillary preemptively before he leaves office? Um, So many things uh, that uh, that one can speculate about.
0: Uh, Mike, one beat on the justice side. Could you imagine Nixonian excesses of the kind that Ilya has described as possibilities, although, of course, we don't know, uh, investigation of enemies, attempts to prosecute Hillary Clinton, and could those provoke constitutional pushback?
1: Sure. I mean, I want to begin by disagreeing with uh, Ilya's sort of passing suggestion that the Obama administration seriously used the IRS to target political enemies. I think that claim has been largely debunked, but we can have that. We, I, I think that's a, a, a fight that's not worth having at this point, because I'm much happier to join forces with Ilya in uh, resisting what we both will agree are the excesses of the, the Trump administration. Uh, I, you know, one of the, um, the ironies, I think this was, uh, uh, Oren Kerr pointed this out in a piece in the Bala Conspiracy uh, yesterday, one of the ironies of uh, James Comey is that you know for all the harm that he did to hillary clinton possibly it was enough to swing the election we, we don't know um that uh he has been very independent uh and if he remains as fbi director uh i think that he will certainly not simply take orders from uh either trump or whoever the attorney general is to go after uh political enemies um now that's the FBI. There are other agencies of the government. And, you know, Trump, in his uh, life as a businessman, has uh, shown a capacity to uh, go after people uh, using the courts, mostly in legal ways. I say he brings lawsuits, but, but that can be quite disruptive, right? You remember what Learned Hand said about a civil lawsuit. He couldn't imagine anything worse than to be a defendant in civil. Uh, lawsuit, uh, suggesting he didn't have a very vivid imagination. But in any event, uh, uh, there are are levers of power there. Um, This is, by the way, one reason why, um, in my piece uh, for Newsweek yesterday, uh, I said that uh, I think it's extremely important that traditional conservatives and Republicans who opposed Trump during the primaries and even during the general election, go work for the government now so as to moderate that kind of excess and ensure that he is a more sort of normal Republican president, somebody who pursues policies I don't necessarily agree with, but does so within the bounds of the rule of law and our understanding about what is what are the proper limits of executive power.
0: Thanks for that. Um, Ilya, one more beat um, and then closing arguments. During this very subtle and illuminating discussion, I've heard both of you questioning the sweeping claim uh, introduced by Noah Feldman, although not not pressed by him uh, simplistically, that major excesses—no need to worry, uh, critics of Trump uh, on the civil libertarian left or the libertarian right— because uh, his excesses will be checked by the Constitution. I I, uh, d- d- uh, I, I hear you uh, expressing some skepticism of, of that claim. Is that is that right?
2: Um. Well, I haven't read the specific Feldman uh, piece, but um, I think mostly it, it it the Constitution will be there uh, because the the Never Trump right. Uh, Will now be joined by the left uh, in opposing uh, unconstitutional things. I, I think that's a lot of people uh, and a lot of uh, brain power uh, to to bring to bear. So uh, I think, um, uh, and and as well, because uh, certainly some of the lawyers that he uh, staffs, that Trump staffs his Justice Department with, will be concerned about structural checks on on federal power. Um, probably less the case in, in, under, under Obama. Um, so I, I think we will have, uh, I, I mean, I, I again, it's, it's hard to speculate on what exactly Feldman was saying, but, but, uh, but, uh, you know, probably I partially agree and, and, and partially disagree. Um, uh, I think, uh, uh, the constitutional discussion will, will be different, but I, I don't, uh, expect there to be less criticism, uh, uh, or less use of the courts uh, uh, for to to enforce uh, the constitutional limits that are there
0: great and, and you know, Mike the same question to you but really the the, the, the question is uh, should people who are afraid of excesses of the trump presidency libertarians or civil libertarians be reassured that the Constitution will check him or or not
1: uh yes and no uh, the you know i I sort of made fun of learned hand in my last answer now i want to praise him. He uh, gave a famous speech, which was later published as a little book on the Bill of Rights, in which he said that, you know, the courts are there to enforce uh, our rights, but ultimately our rights are only as strong as the commitment of the people is uh, to those rights. And so, you know, the the courts are uh, the uh, the least dangerous branch right uh but they're also the least powerful branch uh as uh as we know um and there are lots of cases they don't touch there are lots of there's lots of damage that can be done before anybody can bring a lawsuit uh so i think that um the combination of uh sort of vigilance by people who are opposed to uh trump's policies and the structures we have in place should provide some reassurance. But I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't urge anybody to just be complacent. Uh, and I, I, to be fair, I don't think that either you or Feldman or Ilya or anybody else was suggesting that.
0: Great. Well, closing arguments, and basically it's a chance just to sum up this really interesting question we've been discussing. Ilya, should those uh, libertarians and civil libertarians who fear that a Trump Presidency is an existential threat to the Constitution. Uh, be 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 reassured or 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 not. Uh,
2: no, I don't think it's an existential threat. Um, you know, bad things could happen. Uh, they might not. Um, uh, I think our constitutional order isn't at the point where the the document is worthless and unenforceable. Um, I actually brought up the uh, the Feldman piece while while Mike was talking just now, uh, and he says. Uh, the point is that even a conservative court would police the boundaries of legislation to preserve the basic structures of fundamental democratic rights. It might not do so aggressively, but it would still impose limits on Congress and the president. Um, I agree with that. So I, I, I want to be less hedgy than in my previous response. I, I agree that uh, he later goes on to say the Constitution was built for our situation. I, I agree with that as well. Um, I, I, I don't think uh, that the... The the discussion, the constitutional discussion that that led to uh, the National Constitution Center and and all of the debates that we've been having the last 10, 15 years, I don't think that goes out the window. I think uh, we're probably in a a stronger place now uh, to push back uh, on excesses uh, in various ways. And social media might help with that, uh, actually, by by informing people uh, about uh, problems as and when they arise. So um, I, I try to be, uh, I try to be optimistic. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, Trump is such a wild card. There's a lot of uh, downside. There's there's upside as well. And uh, we'll just see whether he governs uh, with the the better angels of his and his uh, staff's nature uh, in mind. Uh,
0: beautiful. All right, Mike, Ilya has spoken to, possible libertarian uh, critics of a Trump presidency. What are your words to progressives uh, who fear that a Trump presidency could pose an existential threat to the Constitution, and and should they be reassured or not?
1: Uh, I don't think Trump ever posed an existential threat to the Constitution. I believe that he poses two other kinds of existential threats, one of which worries me greatly. The other doesn't worry me much at all. Let me start with the one that doesn't worry me much at all. So you'll recall uh, several times during uh, the conventions and the debates, uh, Hillary Clinton and others said of Trump, a man you can bait with a tweet is not a person who should be in charge of nuclear weapons. Uh, and I think a lot of people were and may remain worried that you know Trump could uh, get into a uh, Twitter war with um, the government of China, let's say, over a proposal for tariffs. uh, And as a result, he could uh, end civilization as we know it, because that turns into a nuclear war. Uh, I don't think that uh, he or, more importantly, the military brass who would have to answer such a, a, uh, you know, respond to such a call are going to do that. Uh, The second kind of existential threat I think that Trump poses is, uh, frankly, to uh, life on the planet. I think he probably will withdraw from the Paris Agreement on global warming. Uh, I think without the U.S. as a member, there's a substantial chance that the agreement falls apart, and there certainly would then not be additional rounds. Um, uh, This was a remarkably absent issue during in the course of the campaign uh, and that is an existential threat to life on the planet unfortunately or fortunately depending on your outlook on these things that is not a uniquely Trumpian threat that is simply a threat from the fact that uh, much of the traditional Republican Party does not take the threat of global warming seriously uh, and so I worry a, gr- a great deal about that but if this is reassuring I would say it's not because it's Trump we would have faced the same problem with Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, or John Kasich, or Ted Cruz as president and a Republican Congress. So as, as a constitutional scholar, I'm not especially worried. As a citizen of planet Earth, I'm quite worried.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Ilya Shabir and Mike Dorf, for a really uh, illuminating, subtle, uh, and fresh An educative discussion of the future of the Trump presidency and the Constitution. As Ilya said, the National Constitution Center's mission remains more salient and urgent than ever. Dear We the People listeners, we will continue to bring together the best voices on all sides of the constitutional debates at the center of American life uh, so that you, the American people and our our dear and valued listeners, uh, can educate yourselves and make up your own minds. Uh, Ilya, Mike, thank you so much for joining.
1: My pleasure. Good to be back with you.
0: Today's show was engineered by David Stotts and produced by Nicandro Iannacci. Research was provided by Lana Ulrich and Tom Donnelly. Get the latest constitutional news and continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter using @constitution_ctr. We You want to know what you think of the podcast? Go to bit.ly forward slash podcast to share your feedback. Please subscribe to We The People and our companion podcast live at America's Town Hall on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We the People is a member of Slate's Panoply Network. Check out the full roster at panoply.fm. And finally, despite our inspiring congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit, we receive little government support, and we rely on the generosity of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this podcast. You'll get our great emails and notices of all of our superb programs around the country and will solidify your role as part of the National Constitution Center family. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.